hello everyone and welcome thank you for listening to the see me podcast this episode i am joined as usual by my co-host d hello and we have our education and young people's manager laura with us today hello laura hi everyone hello so this is again another one of our series of the podcast looking at the journey of a social movement and the report that we released back in March but we've kind of got ongoing it's all about the impact that the people who work with us have had in tackling stigma and discrimination around Scotland. We've got an interview coming up later with one of our volunteers now youth workers Mary um, on her journey with CME and with tackling stigma and discrimination around Scotland. Um, um, before that, she's going to chat around a few of the things that she brought up in her interview that she spoke about, some really interesting talking points. And, and one of the first things that really struck me about Mary in her interview was how much when she first started to, to volunteer with CME a few years ago, she was quite shy, quite reserved, but really seen over the years how much she's built in confidence and seen the impact that sort of encouraging people to speak about their mental health and to not be worried about that and understand that it's okay. It has such a huge impact on people. It, cha- it You can really see the change in them for Mary, for lots of other people um, that we volunteer with also just in general life. You kind of see that confidence in people. And Laura, you've worked with loads of young people over the years in, in doing this. And, and what is the sort of change that you see in young people when they start to understand basically what we always say, that it's okay not to be okay? I think one of the key challenges, thanks Nick, um, and you know, Mary's absolutely wonderful, uh, we're very fortunate to have the youth workers and the youth champions that we have, um, and actually the, the different groups of young people we've had over the last few years. I think one of the key aspects is actually empowering young people by giving them a voice. We know historically that young people feel dismissed frequently uh, in relation to their mental health or concerns around their well-being. Um, if young people are feeling a level of distress, then quite often that's put down as um, a phase, uh, part of the uh, normal um, issues that people experience when growing up and young people therefore aren't taken seriously. I think what we do in a programme is give them a unique platform to really have a, a, a voice on the issues that impact them in relation to their mental health, but also to really understand the function and the impact of stigma and discrimination on their peer group, their families, the adults that work with them, and actually use that knowledge um, to build confidence and develop skills um, and behaviours to be able to actually challenge all of those uh, negative aspects of stigma and discrimination when they come across them. And I really think because of that, we've been able to harness and mobilise a real social movement of young people who actually believe in the change they can see because CME as an organisation genuinely co-produces our work, it has their messages at the heart um, and as a result of that they can see the difference in what it's working towards and what we're trying to achieve. Um, it's not lip service anymore, there's no platitudes and I think because of that young people become genuinely invested and involved in the organisation. Definitely, and I think it's amazing something you said there that giving people sort of some of the the words and knowledge around mental health really helps them have the conversations. But I think it's what I always notice is whenever we speak to them about mental health and try and give them that kind of level of, of confidence to speak about it, 
they already know how and it's already within there and it's basically all of the the messages the words that we speak about when it comes to mental health around young people it's all come from young people and it's almost a case of just reassuring them that what they already it seems to me that reassuring them what they already think what they already feel is completely justified and they are thinking and saying the right things or they could be saying the right things they just need that confidence to go ahead and say it yeah and and i think the difference is with our program compared to some other youth initiatives um we built it from the ground up with young people so that whole training journey that young people go through with us, it's built around what the key issues and needs are of that population group. Um, so we've been able to be really responsive. And I think um, what we've seen is because we have that progression programme where young people therefore become um, or youth champions and then youth champions have the opportunity to become youth workers, that they're able to see those opportunities to grow within that and develop and also to use it as a platform for future careers. If we look at a number of the, the youth workers and youth champions and where they've actually moved on to, it's been a great platform for them to actually enter into that world of work and employment and actually overcome stigma and discrimination as a key barrier that had been holding them back previously. Definitely. Dave, yourself, when you've worked with the young people, have you seen a kind of change? Do you see changes in young people the longer that they are volunteering or the, the more that they're talking about mental health in general, do you see that makes a real change for young people? Yeah, massively. I think in the last few years that I've been working with CME, when we've kind of, especially when we've been co-producing campaigns and key messaging, it's been so inspiring to see these young people kind of come together. And, you know, when you first meet them, they might seem a little bit shy or they're maybe not as engaged with one another. And then over the course of a few months, getting them talking, getting them sharing their ideas, and you can almost see these light bulbs going off all the time and it's just it's great to see and I think especially you know there's not a huge age difference between me and some of the the um youth workers and young champions oh, this, and this I think again, <laughs> dropping into every podcast how young she no, is she no what I was going no, that's all right I'm taking in at level of age discrimination again because of my advanced years but it's okay no what I was going to say is very positive is that growing up if I knew, if I had something like see me around, I think it would have been completely different for me and my friend group being able to to talk about mental health because it wasn't something that we maybe discussed in the same way and, and and kind of seeing how supportive the young people are with one another and seeing them grow not just you know as individuals and their kind of literacy around mental health and 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 their confidence, but just seeing them grow together as a team and, and as a friendship group as well has been lovely and I think one of the um the best bits for me is, is seeing them deliver training you know I couldn't have done that when I was in you know my early 20s that would have been terrifying um but seeing these kind of young people get up there and deliver training to entire rooms of people is just so amazing um to see and I think you know had we not had these young people with us kind of co-producing our content and our campaigns you know they wouldn't resonate as well as they do so yeah it's been a it's been a very inspiring and amazing thing to see over the last few years for me especially thank and you young d <laughs> pardon <laughs> said thank you young d <laughs> also yeah i am young no i'm not i'm not that young i'm only i'm i'm younger than you guys <laughs> I, I think that's a, a, a genuine point. Not that you're younger than us, we, we do know that and, and we, we do appreciate it and I recognise it in my wrinkles. Um, 
I think more in relation to that that model and that social contact model and being really authentic. And I think a social contact model doesn't have to centre around you have to disclose every aspect of your history in relation to mental health, trauma, intersectional issues. You can be a role model and show that actually it's okay to talk about mental health, encourage people to reach out and access support, develop that literacy to talk about their feelings. And I think that's the really effective model. They're in with their peer group. They're training and facilitating sessions alongside their peer group, but they're walking the talk. They're genuinely believing what they do. And I think that authenticity actually rings true to the young people that are actually um, in those sessions with them. It does. And... I guess that that level of seeing them present to others, as you said, is really inspiring again, because it's not just that they're getting up there and they're doing a short bit or they're talking about something that they know like a small amount of. They're they're delivering huge amounts of information and it's like presenting and it's also teaching young people. And I guess that's a a model that has been one that Simi's always used and, and worked really effectively. But why, Laura... You've always done it in this way with CME and and in lots of other places as well. Why do you think that having young people being the ones that are teaching other young people, why does that work? Why isn't it someone that like me or you or even young Mackenzie over there does it? (laughs) Because um, in in many ways it'll be easier for Dee to remember potentially than it was for us to remember. Uh, But if you try and reflect back to your adolescence and teenage years, There's a lot of research around about this, the different ages and stages, who they're more likely to speak to, will it be their peer group, will they reach out to adults, and it changes, and specifically it's quite turbulent over those um, secondary age ranges. But for me, I think one of the the key issues is like speaks to like. Um, They can look at you and me, Nick, um, with our advancing years, and say, yeah, what did they know? What did they know what it's really like to be experiencing these issues? D, they're easier to relate to you. Yeah, they can be like, oh, yeah, in a few years' time, that'll be me. But I feel been... like we should just point out that Nick Nick, Nick and I are, are, are pretty close in age, I think. Oh, yeah, I'm just winding up Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and also, because he's in his 30s, D, you're still in your 20s, so... I've got Which I've got a few years left in my twenties. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it takes me to the 30s. point. Oh, sorry, I'd seen a, a survey the other week there, and actually, in fair that young people think twenty-two is old. Oh, what? So <laughs> like, like, like that's really old, and I'm wow. like, that's really interesting. I'm like, I'm a forty-year-old woman. See if twenty-two is really old. <laughs> <laughs> How old then, were the young people they asked? Like, uh, adolescents. Yeah. Wow. And it was about their future. Um, and they were talking about that and they were just like yeah, anecdotally 22 is just like that's so far beyond kind of like god you've finished school you've done uni it's like yeah you're like an old person then you'll have it all figured out by the time you're 22 <laughs> and I think that's really interesting because what we know is actually the way um, emerging adulthood and the developing mind the, the, the young people are continuing to uh, develop and understand kind of cause and effect relationships up until their their mid-twenties. So we're trying to reflect that those different ages and stages, those kind of key transitions that you're going through, that this cohort, this peer group can actually really understand that because they've just been through it or they're going through it simultaneously at the same time as other young people they're working with. And I think there's real value in that as well. it also goes to uh, Dee, thank you very much. She uh, shared some survey results from the uh, lockdown lowdown uh, with me previously. 
And I think what's interesting is that there's there's themes that, that roll on. And what's still coming out is that young people don't know where to access quality assured, authentic information in relation to their mental health that can be supportive. That came out in the Youth Commission last year. It's came out in a number of pieces of work that we've done since back in uh, 2015. Um, and how as a nation are we actually then able to respond to that and make sure that we're actually meeting the needs of young people um, and the needs that they understand and the needs that they state that they have as opposed to what we believe must happen for young people. What was the lockdown lowdown survey though? Uh, Lockdown Lowdown survey is a survey by uh, Scottish Youth Parliament, uh, Young Scot and Youth Link Scotland um, and it's been disseminated across Scotland to gather uh, young people's views in relation to COVID-19, um, how it's actually impacting them, uh, their well-being, what some of their key needs or challenges are. And as much as they've done it as an initial snapshot, that's going to be rolling on um, on a weekly basis to continually be gathering uh, young people's views over this period of time. And then information shared out across the sector, um, which I think is really, really important because one of the things that we pointed out a few weeks ago, um, and we actually um, addressed it to the Scottish Government and a number of our other partners, is a level of survey fatigue that we were getting fed back from young people. Um, they're being asked by every organisation left, right and centre to give them their, their views and we're actually not sharing those views. So it's how can we actually then hear what young people are saying when they're being overwhelmed by things and actually go, OK, well, we can think smarter as adults, as people in positions of authority and power and influence. How can we actually share information to actually minimise that level of kind of distress and disclosure for young people? Yeah, and it's really important, obviously, we do it a lot as well, and uh, asking people their views on things, their opinions on things, what they think should change, using their kind of energy to to inspire work that can be done in a whole load of different ways. But it's really, really important that you don't just continuously ask, that they actually see some action from that, and then they don't become a bit disillusioned by the fact they're just being asked all the time, thinking, well, what's the point in answering, because nothing ever really changes, and um, last year or uh, we released our Fields FM report so we had a campaign out called Fields FM and this was uh, the world's first emoji powered jukebox for mental health um, and I think it's still currently the world's only I don't think anyone else has tried to make such a specifically tailored jukebox but the idea of it is that uh, you go on there it's, it's aimed at young people you go on there you select an emoji based on how you're feeling and then it, create, it asks young people or whoever may be answering a few questions around mental health, specifically around stigma and discrimination and what can make it difficult to talk, what can make it easier to talk. And then it gives them a six song playlist that matches their mood. And part of the questions that we asked young people for that, we then collated all that and fed in the information to the, the Scottish government. And I think that was a good example where we asked young people lots of questions in through a survey then on Fields FM, but then it actually had the action from the government making commitments to ensure that stigma and discrimination was considered throughout all of their work and all of their work with young people, and that was actually going to make a difference in the future. And I suppose that really shows the kind of influence that young people can have and the power that their voices can have as well if they're sort of harnessed and brought together. And the when you're putting stuff out on social media and sharing stories and all that sort of stuff do you see what's the kind of reactions you see for 
young people's stories when you're sharing them from what comes in but also for the young people themselves who are sharing those stories the impact that has on them sort of having their story out there publicly I think um, from what I've seen, it's it's always been positive. You know, there's always been a positive response on online from other young people, but not just other young people. I think you know adults as well, and I think that can be hugely um, kind of gratifying for for a young person who's maybe struggling who isn't sure where to go. And we know that you know young people now use digital spaces a lot to kind of convey how they're feeling um and I think the beautiful thing about a lot of the campaign work that we do that has been co-produced by young people and a lot of the content that we put out is that we do talk about mental health but we don't do it in a kind of overly aggressive way or you know the language that we use is quite informal we've worked with young people to make sure that our key messaging around mental health um isn't you know overly medicalized or or difficult to understand or would would speak to people in a way how they would speak to their friends um and I think that's why the response we get is so positive is that it's not this you must talk about your mental health and you know that's what's going to make things better it's just kind of a you know a, a more informal conversation of how are you actually doing and if you're feeling a bit crap then it's okay to say that and it's okay to you know to share that with other people um and I think you know in terms of like really listening to what young people have to say and having their voices heard I think the fact that we have co-produced so much of that work with them is it's cool that they can see that kind of going out on our channels and, and going out in digital and in our mail outs and our newsletter and you know hopefully that that you know that's given them the the confidence to kind of share that with their friends and um develop that um, those conversations more um, and uh, you know it, it gives it's it's a lot less of a intimidating way to start a conversation as well you know you sometimes that oh you know oh, I'm gonna ask somebody how they are but I'm not too sure I don't want to use the mental health word in case it gets you know um, but yeah from what we've seen it's been it's been great it's been positive you know it's been quite light-hearted a lot of the time as well and I, and I think that makes the conversations a lot easier and obviously the, the tackling stigma easier as well and and just to add on to that do you think one of the real benefits for our young people as well is that they co-produce it at the front end but then they're involved in that whole journey eh, through data analysis and report writing how we present the findings and the information um, to developing art pre- projects using the data yeah it's not like we <laughs> it was like co-produce not like we get them all in a room and be like what's your ideas we're going to take them and make them into something you know we go through a kind of process as as Laura said with that of you know thanks for you know kind of sharing your ideas this is what we're going to do with them this is how the campaign's developing look this is what the assets are going to look like what do you guys think about this um how do you think it looks do you think that would resonate with with young people um and then as with the you know the report findings for feels being able to feels fm being able to see the kind of government commitments that were made off the back of that you know that's cool that's a cool thing to to see and that the work that you've put into into that has been recognized and 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 shared and and I think in some ways that spiraled as well and um it's empowered young people to do more policy work across CME as well um, so opportunities with the Mental Health Act review or looking at uh, sign guidelines in relation to eating disorders or the GTCS consultation in relation to professional standards for teachers and all of these things we've actually been able to respond but in the reviews of the partners that we work with and in the views of the young people uh, that drive our programme and I think that gives us a really unique position and insight to be able to inform some of those policy decisions that are happening in Scotland. It totally does, and as well as sort of really 
making a difference on those huge, quite serious areas around policy. We've also seen the real impact working with young people and having them inform our messaging has, like you were saying, dear, across social media and that really resonating with people. And one that I always, that one of our most successful things whenever we stick it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever is a kind of little social media graphic that says it's okay to feel shite. And that again is. Or are we totally allowed one... to say shite? I wasn't sure if we were allowed <laughs> to say it. So I didn't. I said, I used the word crap. But well, interesting there. that you do, because <laughs> originally in that was part of our It's OK campaign and it had in a line that it's OK to feel crap. And then we tested it with young people and they were like, we don't say crap. Crap's a word for old people. So get rid of that. Oh, God, like, that's it. That's it. I'm passing the threshold. <laughs> See, you're like, over 22. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And they said to us, they were like, crap's a word for old people. When you're struggling, it feels shite to so say it's shite. So we said it was shite, and then that totally resonated. And then every, and it doesn't matter how many times we put that out, we put it out quite a few times over the years. It still has this massive impact every time you see the amount of people because it just it resonates and it really shows you the kind of power of just listen to people and listen to how they speak, listen to what they're telling you, and then we're just almost we're just a bit of a platform for then sticking that out even further. And yeah, that is always one of my preferred ones. I enjoyed seeing that. Um, so, I guess just before we play into into the chat with Mary, another thing that she talks about quite a lot is being part of the group, the original group of volunteers that helped to develop our What's On Your Mind pack, which is a, a big offering for schools and to help tackle stigma and discrimination. Um, and Laura, you led on that, you led on that with, it, with that first group of volunteers. So what is What's On Your Mind and how um, was it created? So uh, What's In Your Mind um, is a resource pack that was uh, created by uh, young people and a number of partners across Scotland, um, specifically designed for educational establishments, a real focus on 11 to 17 year olds, um, and challenging stigma and discrimination. It's split into a few distinct units, um, all mapped to the health and wellbeing outcomes, starts with building confidence, moving on to uh, tackling uh, stigma, and then taking action. And the tacking, tackling stigma section has a, a dual stigma section as well that looks at areas of intersectionality, such as LGBT issues, rights-based issues, uh, social media and emerging technologies, and how they're impacting mental health. Um, all the activities uh, contained within are experiential learning activities and developed by young people. That just means that they're fun. Um, they're, they're engaging, they're enjoyable, they're accessible, uh, they use plain English, not jargon language. And it's a way for young people to actually work through the areas of mental health stigma and discrimination, develop a level of literacy and understanding alongside their peer groups in a safe environment, but to have real kind of robust resources at hand that we know work in challenging stigma and discrimination, activities that resonate with young people and really matter because young people told us and we've tested these activities with literally thousands of young people across Scotland now. Um, and I think it's downloaded 800 times a year or something like that. Nick, you'll know better than me on that. It is always up there. It's one of the, the top downloads at all times. Even when we're doing big things like Time to Talk Day or something like that, where we're really pushing people to download some specific stuff. It's always right up there. I'll do a quick plug because Nick has actually just uploaded a new version of the What's In Your Mind pack, which is uh, fully updated, um, including all of the new inserts, including Feels FM, and that's available on the website to download as we speak. It is. Check out 
seemescotland.org is our website and you can find that there under the young people's tab so yeah so we'll now listen to mary uh chat a little bit about that process how they created that what she thought of seemie's previous offering not um well you'll see what she thinks um and then yeah so we'll play that now when did you first become involved in seemie and why did you want to become involved um i first became involved i think it was like four and a half years ago now got involved because it was sort of like nothing that was ever talked to me during when I was growing up but it was something that always affected me with um, people in my family having mental diagnosed mental illnesses. Okay and so what mental charities or organisations out there what appealed to you about CME? I think what appealed the most is the fact that CME actually listened to what you said is where I've been involved in other charities where it's almost like tokenistic where oh, we're listening to people but we're not actually we've just we've done the activity of listening to people but not actually taking on board what was being said as we're here that happens so we had our selection date and then the residential training program with EYP and it's kind of like going through all that and meeting up with other volunteers that were going to be coming along with us and just kind of getting to meet up and find out a bit more about the background of CME and what it was all about and why it exists. Okay, and then did, what sort of practical things did you do while you were there? Um, so we looked a lot at the offering that CME already had for children and young people's and kind of essentially went through it and gave our opinions and what we thought on it to like help make it better and change it so that it was in line with kind of like what young people were thinking. And did that feel like you were doing something quite important? Yeah, it really it did because it was like um, this thing that was offered out nationally to uh, school settings and whatnot that we were getting to actually have an input on what what it actually was and what it said, which felt kind of cool. Brilliant. And then from uh, why was it important to you to be able to do that? It's like having your voice sort of like helping other young people who might have been like in a similar situation to you or like who don't know anything and that might be like the first thing they've come across where someone's talking to them about mental health. What was the pilot school programme? So the pilot school programme was a whole school approach in it on in six different areas in the schools which is looking at mental health across the school, both for the students and the staff, and undertaking activities through the year to help people understand what mental health was and what stigma and discrimination in relation to mental health was, and trying to create a culture change within the school in terms of how it's thought about. Brilliant. And what did you and, the kind of, and your fellow volunteers, what did you, what did you do in the pilot schools? Um, so in the pilot schools, volunteers, Tears, I attended um, a couple of mental health fairs in the schools and then later on when we were trained in Scottish Mental Health First Aid and then Scottish Men- as Scottish Mental Health First Aid trainers, which some of us was done, we then went back into the schools and helped deliver that training to students and teachers. What did you see as the impact when you were doing that training? I think it was like the impact of it was like when you were talking to someone and you'd maybe like done a couple of the day, couple of days with them or a day with them and then you came back later and they were talking to you. I done a training where a teacher came back and was like, I used this with my 
son last night because he came to talk to me and all I wanted to do was go and fix the thing and I was just like, no, 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 that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to just be listening to him and letting him talk to me, which felt kind of cool. Yeah, how does that feel when stuff that you've done, you can see it making a difference? It feels amazing to know that like you've been able to help someone through just like going in and doing something that you're passionate about and knowing that that's able to like affect a change is very it's very moving, very powerful. But, and why why do you think it's so important to tackle discrimination? I think it's that's hard, but it just feels like it's a very obvious thing that stigma and discrimination is wrong. You shouldn't judge a person based on like outward appearance, out, outward appearance. Sorry, I cannot say the word. Outward appearance and just sort of judge them more for who they are as a person, and like taking something that's um, superficial or is just like a label that's attached to them because of whatever it is, whether it's like race, their mental health, um, disability, just feels wrong and you should be valued more for what you're worth, uh, who, sh your worth should come from who you are and not A -Y X, Y, Z about you. Definitely, and have you ever yourself experienced any of that type of stigma and judgement and discrimination? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things around, so I'm a young carer, I've got a hearing uh, impairment and I've had struggles with my mental health and it's just like through those things like even through school like some comments made by teachers around certain things would be like all right okay you're not actually getting what's happening here and it just felt really horrible. And has volunteering with CME helped you in that? It has because it's made me a lot more vocal when people say things to me going, no, stop it. Um, it's kind of given the confidence more to like speak out against it. Yeah, definitely. And what, I guess with the, with the residential training and all the stuff you've done, like, what's it been like to meet other volunteers? It's been absolutely amazing. You kind of like uh, get this group of people that are all of the same frame of mind in terms of that mental, uh, mental health stigma and discrimination is wrong and everyone's sort of like sort of similar-ish life experiences but still so different it's like an inbuilt group of friends because you just keep in contact with everyone and it's great. What um, changes have you seen in the, the young people that you're working with? I think there's a lot there's a lot more of um, people that are aware of what mental health is and the stigma and discrimination surrounding it. Like right at the start you'd do certain activities and it'd be um there'd be like little to no knowledge. But now as you're going into skills and whatnot it feels like the young people they know what they're talking about and they know what it's about. Well it was kinda cool. Do you think or how do you think and how is the program, EYP part of the program, how is that having an impact on the schools that we work with? I think it's like creating a positive, very positive change around it because you'd let like I know from when I was in high when I was in primary school and high school, mental health just wasn't talked about at all and it just felt like this really weird thing that sat in the corner that you weren't allowed to talk about and it had to be hidden as we're now you're able to be a bit more open about it and actually go and talk to people and get support and help, even in school. 
Do you think seeming is making a difference? I do. Oh. <laughs> what, how do you think seeming is making a difference? And just like that awareness, the awareness raising for a start is like a huge thing around that it's like it's okay not to be okay and that you're allowed to feel how you feel and sort of like giving people validation in their feelings that they're not weird or unusual or I can't think of any other word for feeling how they feel and then being able to go and you shouldn't be treated any differently because of that. I think that's a really big thing that I think Sammy's helping with. You mentioned the teacher and you said they didn't spoke to their son. Have you had anything else like that with people that you've worked with or trained or spoken to have then gone out and taken that and done something with it? Uh, I know that quite a lot of my quite a lot of my friends when I just talk about it normally it was always like a big thing and there was loads of jokes and whatnot and now there doesn't there's no jokes around mental health within my friend group. Um and they're all and I've like, had someone wanting to think about coming up as a volunteer but couldn't make any of the dates and whatnot. So it's just like getting to talk to people. So can you see that do you think if like yourself or other champions or whoever it is, if they know more then that then impacts on other people and that spreads? Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's like that sort of, um, I can't remember the name of the model, but one person talking to two people and they need two people talk to two people and eventually you'll end up getting through to, ev getting it out to everyone. It's almost, it's almost like a very positive, like rumour spreading type thing. That's a really bad way to describe it. It's almost like that thing that if you tend to learn better from someone who just knows a little bit more than you because it doesn't feel like they're an authority figure or superior in any way and it's just like talking and chatting and that's how you spread change very effectively I think. Definitely, I completely agree. And do you think that seeing me has been able to kind of help empower you to be able to do that and be one of those kind of links in that channel? And for sure seeing me has helped empower that because you're never just like chucked in it at the deep end with the programme so that we've had a lot of support in terms of like going out to events you were never sent to an event before you were ready you always had someone there with you from the team until you were felt you were able to be at that stage and you had constant check-ins and whatnot for that so it always felt like you're protect not protected like supported and safe in what you were doing what are you most proud of of what you've done oh Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think, actually, I don't know. Um, I think I'm most proud of the Watching Your Mind pack because it's something that is concrete and is available to all of the schools and my name's in it. So I get very giddy with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> sorry. sorry. Uh, being able to like, see something that we've done like in a concrete version and have a copy of it for myself and just be known that it's getting used out there with other people, yeah. I think that's what it's one of the things I'm most proud of. And it's what started my journey with seeing me, so I can't not be proud of it. That's great. And I guess speaking of your journey, how has your role with seeing me developed? I think it's taken quite a cool turn because this is volunteer I'm now on as a youth worker with the programme so I get to help support 
the new volunteers and volunteers currently who were in my position. So it's like knowing how they're feeling and trying to help them in a way that I was helped from it, which is quite cool. Are you quite proud that you've then gone from that volunteer to now being someone who can help one day and working on the programme? You know, definitely proud of like going from volunteer to youth worker because it's sort of like, I think when I first started as a volunteer, I was so shy and I would not talk to anyone that I didn't know. As we're now, I will go and I will talk to groups of like, I'll say something in front of 120 16, 17 year olds with no issues. And it just feels like that's sort of like gaining confidence and it's sort of like an acknowledgement of like where you are, sort of like going from volunteer to youth worker and being able to help support other people. So as well as kind of changing roles within the CME and that developing, has it changed you? Oh no, definitely. So it's again that it's changed me in terms of like my confidence thing, but it's also my slight outlook in life and where I want to end up later on has sort of like changed a lot from it. So I used to want to be a psychology lecturer in university. Don't ask me why, I have no idea why anymore. But now I know that I kind of want to work more towards like uh, youth engagement roles and stuff like that, which is which I didn't know before I was on the programme. You've done uh, media work with myself as well. How have you found, how did you find sharing the story in such a kind of public sense? So kind of being able to share your experiences and your stories is very, it's very freeing. don't know if that's the right term, but sort of like knowing that you can do that and you can do it in a safe way where people aren't going to judge you for it. It kind of just makes you feel a bit more like, oh, I'm me and that's, I get to be me and me is an okay person. It's not an okay person, me is a great person. <laughs> Sorry. That was good. And what was the... The impact when you shared your story, did you have much people, any people talking to you about it? So there's a lot of family and friends talking to me about it and just like wanting to know what it was that I was doing and then listening to it and then I think as well from that a lot of them didn't actually know a lot of it because it wasn't like such a widely talked subject within us and they're like, oh okay. And it opened a lot more conversations within that. So actually speaking publicly in the media helped conversations with kind of your immediate family and friends. Yeah, so I feel like um, doing it in a more public setting, I feel like it's a lot harder sometimes to talk to people that are in the situation with you or like are surrounding you constantly. Did you have any kind of particular responses to that which stuck with you or anything? Or? Um, I think there's a couple of things that quite a lot of my friends were opening up more and that was never something that they'd ever felt comfortable enough to do. I had a couple of them tell me that it was something that they'd never talked to anyone else before about, and that just kind of, that sort of like feeling that they then felt more comfortable with me to be able to see how they were feeling, it's kind of like stuck with me a lot. Was that um, a sort of a surprise that you opening up then led to other people being able to open up? It wasn't really a surprise so much as like, I don't know, it's not so much a surprise as so much as I didn't expect it from the people that were opening up to me, if that makes sense. Because, like, I know like, talking about things makes it easier for other people to talk about things, but it was like stuff that I didn't realise that my friends were going through because it was just a conversation that we'd never had before. 
and then having that conversation is going, all right, okay, so maybe we've all just sort of like been quite lax and seeing how we all feel and what's going on with each other. Do you think sharing a story in the media had, had a big impact on other people? I don't know. Because I know, like, I can only talk about the people that I know through it, and I know that um, just even being involved with See Me and just talking about the things that I was doing with See Me sort of like, opened up those conversations with people, like, with the people that I know. Has, uh, has volunteering with See Me opened up any other opportunities aside from kind of ones your progression with us? Definitely. So, um, if I hadn't been part of See Me, I know that I never would have had the confidence to go away and do a 10-week international volunteering programme that I'd done about two years ago now, because I just would not have like, had the confidence or the feelings of self-worth to go, like, I can do that and it'll be fine and that I'll be able to do it. So See Me definitely was the thing that made me feel like, yeah, I can, I can do it. <laughs> That's brilliant. And do you feel like you have made a difference in tackling stigma and discrimination? I hope so. I hope I have. What changes do you still want to see? It's just like changes of what you see is just kind of like a wider escalation of what has been going on, that people aren't getting judged for who they are and how they feel, that they're valued based on their experiences and that People are just people, if that makes sense. It's like, like you aren't talking about the labels or the physical appearances or how someone's dealing with something mentally. It's just like that's a that's a person and I'm a person. We just need to be nice to each other and be human. What's the one thing then if you had that message or if you did what if some if you saw saw someone acting in a kind of discriminatory way, what would be the kind of one thing, what would be the thing you would say to them to try and change their behaviour? I think it's not about going in and being accusatory, but asking them what they're, why they're saying what they're saying, because again, it's like that um, almost iceberg situation that you do only see the actions that someone is, but not what's going on underneath. And just going in and attacking uh, not not attacking, but like addressing the action won't actually do anything. But like sitting and having a conversation and finding out where they're coming from and why they're doing what they're doing before actually going and going. Well, here's what I would do, and here's why I think it's important. So it's not so much of going like you're wrong, you're doing this, you're doing that, despite the fact what I think from it. Okay, so that was great hearing from Mary, and that is the end of this episode. Just a reminder again, if you do want to find out more about our social movement and the differences that you can make, uh, check out report.seemescotland.org and see the stories of people who have been making huge differences, like Mary, across Scotland, and uh, yeah, find out what you could do on there as well. So thanks again for listening, and thanks to Laura for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you to uh, young Mackenzie, as always. You are welcome. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.